Chapter 84. Pitch Pulling To make them run easily and swiftly, the axles of carriages are anointed, and for much the same purpose, some whalers perform an analogous operation upon their boat. They grease the bottom. Nor is it to be doubted that such a procedure can do no harm. It may possibly be of no contemptible advantage, considering that oil and water are hostile, that oil is a sliding thing, and the object in view is to make the boat slide bravely. Quigquag believed strongly in anointing his boat, and one morning, not long after the German ship Jungfrau disappeared, took more than customary pains in that occupation crawling under its bottom where it hung over the side, and rubbing in the unctuous as though diligently seeking to ensure a crop of hair from the craft's bald keel. He seemed to be working in obedience to some particular presentiment, nor did it remain unwarranted by the event. Towards noon, whales were raised, but so soon as the ship sailed down to them, they turned and fled with swift precipitancy, a disordered flight, as of Cleopatra's barges from Actium. Nevertheless, the boats pursued, and Stubbs was foremost. By great exertion, Tashtego at last succeeded in planting one iron, but the stricken whale, without all sounding still, continued his horizontal flight. With added fleetness, such, such unintermitted strainings upon the plaited iron must soon or later inevitably enact it. It became imperative to lance the flying whale, or be content to lose him. But to haul the boat up to his flank was impossible. He swam so fast and furious. What then remained? Of all the wondrous devices and dexterities, the sleights of hand and countless subtleties to which the veteran whaleman is so often forced, none exceed that fine maneuver with the lands called pitch-pulling. Small sword or broadsword, in all its exercises, boasts nothing like it. It is only indispensable with an inveterate running whale. Its grand fact and feature is the wonderful distance to which the long lance is accurately darted from a violently rocking, jerking boat under extreme headway. Steel and wood included, the entire spear is some ten or twelve feet in length. The staff is much slighter than that of the harpoon, and also of a lighter material, pine. It is furnished with a small rope called a warp, of considerable length, by which it can be hauled back to the hand after darting. But before going further, it is important to mention here that though the harpoon may be pitch-pulled in the same way with the lance, yet it is seldom done, and when done, it is less frequently successful on account of greater weight and inferior length of the harpoon as compared with the lance, which in effect become serious drawbacks. As a general thing, therefore, you must first get fast to a whale before any pitch-pulling come into play. Look now at Stubb, a man who from his humorous, deliberate coolness and equanimity in the direst emergencies was specially qualified to excel in pitch-pulling. Look at him. He stands upright in the tossed bow of the flying boat, wrapped in fleecing foam. The towing whale is forty feet ahead. Handling the long lance lightly, glancing twice or thrice along its length to see it exactly straight, Stubb whistingly gathers up the coil of the warp in one hand so as to secure its free end in his grasp, leaving the rest unobstructed. Then, holding the lance full before the whist-brain middle, he levels it at the whale, when, covering him with it, he steadily depresses the butt-end in his hand, thereby elevating the point till the weapon stands fairly balanced upon his palm, fifteen feet in the air. He minds you somewhat of a juggler, balancing a long staff on his chin. 
Next moment, with a rapid, nameless impulse, in a superb lofty arc, the bright steel spans the foaming distance and quivers in the life spot of the whale. Instead of sparkling water, he now spouts red blood. That drove the spigot out of him, cries Stubb. Tis July's immortal fourth. All fountains must run wine today. Would now it would be Old Orleans whiskey, or Old Ohio, or unspeakable old Monogalia. Then, Tashtego, lad, I'd have ye hold a canakin to the jet, and we drink it round. Yea, verily, hearts alive, we'd brew choice punch in the spread of his spout hole there, and from the live punch bowl quaff the living stuff. Again and again to such gamesome talk, the dexterous dart is repeated, the spear returning to its masters like a greyhound held in a skillful leash. The agonized whale goes into a flurry, the towline is slackened, and the pitch polar dropping astern folds his hands and mutely watches the monster die. Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.